Will you bow your heads with me one more time as we begin? Heavenly Father, we, um, we ask now that you would cultivate the soil of our heart. That as we read these words and as they sow a seed in our hearts and our souls and our minds, Father, we claim the promise that you are the one who causes all these things to grow in us. So as we read this word, we believe it to be true, and we believe that it is your word for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How many of you, do you, let me see, how should I, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to put this in words, because it's not in my notes. So this week, have you ever made plans, okay, here it is, here it is, here we go. I think I got this, Holy Spirit. Have you, have you plans in your life and everything is working exactly how you think it's supposed to work and then all of a sudden God changes that up on you? Has that ever happened to you? It's the most annoying and frustrating thing to happen. I know we always want to hear a word from the Lord and we always want God to show us, but we prefer for it to be the less painful way, right? We want it to be the easy, simple, kindergarten version of life where they just lead us by the hand and God leads us by the hand. And there's a Bible verse here, and I'll tell you why I'm saying this in a moment. But in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says, In the heart a man plans his course, but the Lord... And this is a reminder that we may... Am I cutting in and out, or is it... I don't have a very deep voice. So. Too bad for you guys, because I wish I could do it with... If I was Bob Dixon, I would uh, not need a microphone. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, Bob. We pick on Bob too much, right? We love you, Bob. So sometimes God upends our plans. The Bible says that it belongs in our hearts to to make the course for our lives, but ultimately it comes down to God choosing the steps for us. So this week, and if if we're friends on Facebook, you probably saw this, but this week I'm working on my sermon all week long, and I was getting pretty, like, I was doing pretty well. I was like, wow, I'm going to be done early this week. So Thursday morning I wake up, I sit down at my computer, and I opened up my Word document that I was using for my sermon, because I, I like to write everything out. It's the only way I, I can feel prepared. And my, my, my document was blank. So initially, it's like, okay, it's, it's on the cloud somewhere. But when I was working on it the day before, it didn't get, it wasn't, I didn't have internet access. So it didn't get saved to the cloud. And I looked everywhere for it on my computer, and I couldn't find it. And so that's what I posted on Facebook, right? Like, that moment when the message you've been working on all week <laughs> goes missing. So I spent the entire day, every, every chance I had on Thursday, kind of reading the same stuff that I had been reading, trying to put it back together, trying to find the same illustrations, just trying to make it work again. And funny thing is, I just kept, like, hitting this brick wall. It was frustrating. Like, I couldn't put into words what I was trying to say or, or what I felt God was trying to tell me to say to you. And I just couldn't get it done. And in, instead of the more I was reading, the clearer things were getting, the more I was reading, the more frustrated I was getting because I was like, well, I don't know exactly what to put down on this piece of paper. So by the end of Thursday night, the page was still blank. And my brother writes in the comments, Google. He tells everybody that I Google my sermons, by the way. 
My whole life, he's always like, and I don't know he tells people these kinds of things until after, like years later. I'm just like, no wonder they thought I was weird. But he does that all the time. I heard him trying to tell someone last week here, too. I don't, I don't Google my sermons most of the time. No, but, but the truth was, I was actually trying to skip over four verses of what we were trying to get to. So as you know, we're, we're kind of slowly getting back into Romans, and I think the best way to do Romans is we'll take a chapter at a time, and then we'll do some other sermons, and then come back to Romans, so that it's not just this like five-year trek through the book of Romans. But I was trying to skip over these four verses, not, not because I don't agree or disagree, it was just one of those things where it's like, well, I don't know if we really, you know, we'll just get to the next part of the story. But I sense God saying, no, you have to do those four verses, and so that's what we're going to do this morning. So... I hope that we have enough faith that, that what we're going to be hearing this morning is God saying, hey, pay attention to these four verses, because it kind of closes up the conversation that we've been having for the last two weeks and then preparing us for the conversations that we're going to have in the next couple of weeks. So if you have your red Bibles, the pew Bibles that are in front of you, there's no PowerPoint today. I, I think I want us to stick to our Bibles for a little while just because there's something different that happens when we have it in our hands. Romans chapter 8, page 800, page 800. And again, one of the things we've discussed is sometimes if it feels like we're saying the same thing again and again, it's because that's how Paul writes. Paul will, will say something, he'll kind of go a different way, and then he'll come back to it. And then he'll say something else, and then he'll come back to it. And that's kind of how Paul, Paul's style of writing is. And so when we're preaching it, um, it's, it's kind of coming back to that same stuff. And so here's where we're going to start. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. If the spirit. Now the spirit that this is talking about, it isn't some weird otherworldly type of spirit, but the spirit here is, is, the, is the spirit of God. It is, it is the third member of the Trinity. So there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, our English language doesn't have words or logic or rhetoric to fully explain how God could be three in one. So we just take, what we do is we take it on faith because that's what the Bible teaches us. And one day we can then ask God how that works. But until then, what the Bible teaches us is that when Jesus was leaving this earth, he says, it's, it's better that, I, this is what's funny, Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that I could then send you who? The Holy Spirit. Maybe, and the way I try to think of this in my mind is, Jesus as a human being could only be in one place at one time, right? Can you be in more places than once? Wait, how does that mean? You can only be at one place at one time. So Jesus in his human body really was restricted to one place at one time. But the Holy Spirit, the presence and the essence of God, that can be where? Everywhere, all the time. So Jesus says, it's actually better for all of you that I go and be with the Father because I am going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, and he will teach you all the things that you need to know. They didn't understand at the time that, it, that the Spirit was coming and that we would be, in a sense, that the Holy Spirit would dwell in us, would be a part of our hearts and our souls, and it would be God's way of continuing to do the work of transformation in your life. So Paul says, if this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, 
The spirit that can do the impossible. If the spirit of God that does the impossible lives in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The spirit gives life to your mortal bodies. Paul has already said that we are good as dead. He says that for the mind, for to set the mind on the sinful nature or the flesh is death. In verse 10, he says that the body is dead because of sin. What that means is if you have sinned, you're condemned to death, but Jesus comes and he reverses that, the final death, the death where you don't have to be eternally separated from God, but we still have that first kind of sense of that first death, that that, that death that we all feel, that death that you feel in your bones in the morning when you wake up and everything just hurts. How many of you have to wake up and kind of warm your legs up a little bit in the morning? How many of you? I just wanted to for fun. I do that. I have an old man body, I think. We feel it in our bodies. We feel it in our bones. We feel this death, this decay, this less than perfection in our jobs, in our relationships. We feel, we feel this lingering effect of sin in our lives. It's everywhere all the time. But Paul says, even in this depressing reality, the Spirit of God will give life to you. It will make your spirit alive. That's one of those fundamental promises of faith. That no matter the things that go on in the world and in your life, you can still hold on to the fact that the Holy Spirit is still making you alive. So when you're able to overcome things in your life, it is you don't pat yourself on the back too much of, oh, it's because I'm a man and it's all my will, you know what I mean? Because that's not. And women are stronger than men anyway. I've, I've realized that. Like, do you guys have this, un, quite, uh, this weird threshold for pain? I've realized, I don't know. But it's not just your will. It's not just your power. It's not your decision that you're going to conquer. It's the Spirit of God that lives in you, that gives you the ability to overcome. And this is what Paul is talking about here. That even though we are experiencing sin and death all around us, the Spirit of God functions in such a way that you can have hope. So there's two things to notice here. And when he says that he will give life to our mortal bodies, number one is that our bodies are dying, decaying. We already know that. And even in this state, the Spirit of God dwells in you and makes your spirit alive. We know that. The second thing that Paul is alluding to here, he's talking about the future transformation of your body. Yes, one day we may all ultimately breathe our final breath. All right? That's it's just the sad kind of reality of our existence. But what he's saying is, but even this God who raises Jesus from, what, that, from death, God is going to transform you and transfigure you and make you 100% new. When your body will put on immortality and your perishableness shall be imperishable forever because Jesus defeats that final death once and for all. What Paul is saying here is that you will one day be liberated from disease, from frailty, from decay, from pain, and from death. See, that's why Christianity is such a powerful faith. Because God is promising to make all things right one day. How many of us have ever experienced something bad that has happened against us and we didn't do anything to ask for it? Right? We've all experienced injustices in our lives. We have all experienced wrongs in our life. And the Bible tells us that one day God will right all of the wrongs. 
That's the gospel. That's the message that we should continually be preaching in our churches. All, I mean, how many of you, I mean, how, have you been hearing about these Syrian refugees, this little kid, you've seen that picture that came up, he, he drowned, he was like a two or four year old, and it's because people are fleeing their current situation, just trying to get somewhere safer. That's death, that's decay. I couldn't even click on the, I had a, I, like, I had a, like a physical reaction to see that. I mean, I see that at the hospital when little kids come in and I have to be the one that has to go and comfort the mom and I have nothing to say and I, I have to hold back the, that, that, that sickness within me because we're the ones that have to be strong for the people. And there's no good reason for why that happens. There is no good reason why that happens. They always ask me, why did God do this? And, and my response, whether you guys agree with me or not, I say it wasn't God. You can disagree with me, we can talk about it. You guys disagree with me all the time, that's cool. <laughs> I just don't think that God works that way. That's sin, that's death, that's the decay. That's what Paul is saying. Even though we experience this, the Spirit of God is going to give life to your bodies. Verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature... That's where we're living for ourselves, to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will what? But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. So I'm going to stop there for a second. He says we are indebted. We have a debt. We are obligated to the Spirit. Now the commentators that I was reading on this, they, they say, like, we have an obligation to live righteous lives. And some of them are saying, like, so, so but people think that Paul is going back on grace is this gift, that, that, that salvation is the gift of grace and of faith. And they're saying, no, Paul's not saying that. Paul is adamant. We, we are saved by grace through faith. It is all what Jesus does for us. But now that we are a part of this adopted family of God, now that you are sons and daughters of, of God, we have an obligation how many of you have ever taken marriage vows? Why did you do it? Because she forced you? No, I'm just kidding. That's so bad. I am so, if you're a guest, I am so sorry. That's, people tell me I'm not funny all the time, so I'm funny to myself. No, why do we take, why do we take vows? It's a, no, no, but, but what leads us to that place? Because we love that person. We fall in love, and we want to spend the rest of our lives with that person. Amen? That's, what, that's why we take vows. Now, when you, you take vows, you say things like, I will love you forever in sickness and in health, blah, 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 and I will be faithful to you, right? It's kind of an obligation, right? Is it a bad thing? No, because you are happy to live those vows because why? Because you love that person. Your living out that way is simply just, it is, a, it is a witness that your love is effervescing out of your heart. You do it because you love the person. So when Paul begins to say, we have an obligation to the Spirit, he's not going back to the, so you have to follow all the rules and all the laws. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, in order to be saved... He's saying we do those things because we are a giving. It is out of our love. It is out of our position that Christ has saved us. Christ has forgiven us. And now 
we are co-participators. I forget which, I just listened to that last night. But we are now participating in the work that God is doing in this world. We are now, we get the privilege and the honor to be a witness to this God of the universe. Because people will always say things like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like Christians. I like the philosophies of Jesus, but the way Christians live their lives, I don't want to go to church. So you're a witness, whether you like it or not. But you're either a witness to a bad image of who God is, or you are going to be a witness to give honor and glory to God. This is what Paul is saying. We have this obligation. It's not like a debt. But it's God has already done everything for you. And if you truly understand that Christ has given you salvation, you now can live in such a way where your life will naturally overflow from the spirit that is within you. And Paul then says something like this. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. And what and some of these commentators would say is what this means for us. It's that daily, continual surrender. It's that continual knowing and acknowledging that you are surrendering your life to God every moment of every day. And Paul, when he writes this, it's writing it in the present tense. Now for us, you know, tenses don't make that big of a difference in the way we speak because English is kind of like a, like a simple language. But in the Greek, how they write and the tenses that they write in and the, the, the I mean, I don't even know how to explain this, the parsing and how the word is written actually makes a huge difference into what they are actually trying to say. So when Paul writes, he's been writing in the past tense, but then he switches to the present tense because what he's trying to convey is that this is a daily, continual thing. You must continually put to death the deeds of the body. The Bible commentators and in the old Christian church, they use the word mortification, which sounds bad, right? Like, ah, that doesn't sound like something we want to do. But it's simply the process of putting to death the body's misdeeds. So basically doing, stopping, and getting rid of all of the things you know to do. Jesus talks about this. What does Jesus say? If your right hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I, I don't know. I'm not asking you guys to go do that. <laughs> I'm just saying that God hates sin and he wants us to stay away from it as much as possible. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will get us through some of the temptations, but I think it's smarter for us to not put ourselves in those positions to be tempted. Amen? It's not that impressive. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let them deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, so it's not just Paul who is saying this. Paul's theology is being built on what he understands of Jesus. Paul's theology and what he is telling us in Romans is what he has experienced that Jesus came to do, and he just is echoing the same teachings that Jesus taught. Put to death the sin and the misdeeds of your body. Cling to the Spirit of God, and it's the Spirit of God who will help you. Galatians chapter 5 says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The word that Paul uses to put to death these misdeeds is the word that if, if someone is sentenced, was sentenced to the death penalty, it's that word that he was using. And that was no accident because he could have used any, any different version of the word put to death. But he chooses the word that is like you're being handed over to be killed. Like that's finality. That's like there is no gray area. It's just put it to death. 
See, that's the Christian experience. We have all sorts of highs and reasons to be thankful for, but sometimes we, we, the sinfulness in the world around us and even the sinfulness in us begins to creep its way out. And when those things happen, the scriptures tell us that we must cling on to the Holy Spirit. And I think two weeks ago, I talked about what it means to cling to the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. And it doesn't mean you're just sitting back passively waiting for God to do everything, because I don't think God's going to come in and pick you up and move you everywhere you go. That's not how we see Scripture working. But what we can do is continually be open to the Spirit. Paul would write about this in Ephesians where he says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on what is honorable, good, pure, and true. And number three, we have an obligation to the indwelling Spirit of life. And I said, this is where we think, oh, oh, here comes the rules. Here's the list of all the things we have to do. But the truth is, is that it's not really one of those negative connotations of obligations, but rather it's because we love, because we are thankful for what Jesus has done for us, we can now live in such a way as the fruit of the Spirit that is within us. That is what God is doing within us. And then I'll just quickly read verses 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of, and here it says sonship, a better word is a spirit of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. First century, you always needed two people to give witness to make something true. So what he is saying here is the Spirit testifies with our spirit to say that we truly are the sons of God and daughters of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share with his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the promise. I mean, is this a promise to you? Is this, is this making sense to us? The Spirit of God calls you his home. And he doesn't want us to have a spirit of fear. I see this all the time. Am I saved? Am I not saved? Today I feel saved. Tomorrow I didn't feel, I mean, yesterday I didn't feel so saved. See, the truth is, is that Christ forgives you. If you look at Hebrews, it tells us that, that if, if we could do it on our own, then, then we make the death of Jesus on the cross, we make it in vain. That it doesn't count, it doesn't matter. See, Paul is saying, you don't need to go back to that, I'm not sure if I'm in, I'm not sure if I'm out. If, if, first of all, if you're having that conversation, you're probably in, because it matters to you how you live your life. It matters to you what God thinks. It matters to you what God did. So if you're having that conversation, I have a sense you're in. And what I mean by in is that you are saved. Hey, that was solved 2,000 years ago. What Paul then begins to write about is, okay, good, you're saved. That's not your purpose on this life. Your, your purpose in, in the world is not to be saved. Your purpose is to be witnesses to the God whose grace was able to save even the worst of you. Does that make sense? I say this and I'll say this again. Faith, religion, spirituality, God, Jesus, the Bible, it's not about you. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's not about what you get out of what Jesus is doing. It's, it's what can you give back to the Lord? Does God need anything we have? No. 
But when we give of ourselves, God uses that to transform us and to change us. When we give of ourselves and we bear witness to this God, that fills you in a way that nothing else can fill you. So what we think is hard isn't really hard. It's actually the biggest blessing. I think something people always say is the, the, the greatest things that we receive are the things that we actually give away. That's, that's what Jesus does. He gives his life away. And we're trying to live lives that are like Christ. And so we are trying to give our lives away on behalf of other people. We are called to be blessings to others. All of this, you can't do this if you're not really connected to the Spirit. And not only that, we don't do that so that people can pat us on the back. We do it in secret and in the dark so no one knows we do that. One last kind of little story. I, I have a friend who, I mean, yeah, he's a friend, I guess, who does things all of the time. And, he, and he'll tell me, but you cannot tell anyone that I'm doing this. And his name, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> and a part of me, and, and I mean, so a part of my ego and my pride is like, don't you want people to know? People need to know that you're doing this so that they can be thankful to you. And he says, but it's not me who's doing it. They can just be thankful and praise God. And there's been times where I want to say, but I, I have to keep my word. <laughs> and I think if we can live our lives more like that, more in secret in the sense of when we do good, just do good because God is calling you to do good. Don't do it because you're going to get recognition for it. And I know it's hard. We live in a world where we all want recognition for everything. I understand that. I struggle with that. That's why God keeps humbling me. <laughs> okay, I learned. But we must live our lives, and we're going to get to this in like four chapters. Paul says, as living sacrifices to the Lord. We must live our lives as an offering being given up to the Lord every single moment of the day. If you did that, your marriages would be better. If you did that, your relationship with your children or, or your parents would be better. If you did that, your relationships and the churches would be better. If we live that way, the world would be a different place. And one last thing. Here's the last thing that I, that I remember I have to tell you. Just because you are living in the Spirit doesn't mean everyone around you is going to be living in the Spirit, which means this. We are only responsible for ourselves. You can only control for that, for that part as much as you can of yourself because we know the Spirit is kind of nudging us forward. But there are people around you who the Bible says will be living by the sinful nature who will do things. There are people who are around us that will... Um, do harm to us, that will not be nice to us, that will say mean things, and, and we don't have permission to act in a sinful nature just to get back to them, get back at them. We must continually believe that God will ultimately vindicate us, that God will ultimately make things right, because all we can do is be responsible to what God is calling us to do. God will take care of the rest. So even though people will not live by the Spirit around you, you cannot allow them to change you. You must continue to keep your eyes on God, allow the Spirit of God to work in you. And I truly believe that in the end, God will make every wrong right. And what we're going to learn next week is that the sufferings of this world do not compare to the eternal weight of glory.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we wish that the Bible was written through rose-colored glasses where suffering wouldn't be a part of our vocabulary. But Father, we know that it is. But we also know, Lord, that you have given us the spirit of your very essence to be within us. And so I pray that we would not try to look for you in other things, but that we would look to you for who you are. That you would open our eyes to what you're doing in our lives so that we can give witness to you everywhere that we go. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here that we would be your aroma in every moment of the day so that when people see us, they would see a small glimpse of your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.